All right, so Monty, you said that you didn't know that CM Punk came back to wrestling, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so what happened? <laughs> yeah, so CM Punk was signed to a contract last year with the UFC. With AEW. Huge signing. Yes, I Off remember the seeing rumor that. of him signing. Yeah. They sold out the United Center in Chicago. It was great. Was Everyone there. loved it. Oh, um, I almost, I almost cried. Yeah, that was that was September last year, so roughly a year. In May, CM Punk is in a feud with Hangman Page for the world title. And Hangman Page says something in a promo that CM Punk is not fond of because it alludes to real-life issues CM Punk has with his former friend and fellow AEW employee, Colt Cabana. Okay? Mm-hmm. Ooh. But it was it was a throwaway line in an interview that was never referenced again, and people were like, well, that was kind of weird, but whatever. Uh, CM Punk wins the title at the pay-per-view, and he immediately breaks his foot mm-hmm. and is he gone for did he, did two he months. Did he break it in the match? No, he broke it in his entranceway jumping into the crowd because he's Wait, a dipshit. So it's not it's a real break, not a acting. Yes, you know, he real legitimately break. broke okay. his okay. Yeah, yeah. If, if, yeah, if it's a kayfabe injury, I'll tell you. Okay. So he's gone for two months. He returns. And the first thing he does when he returns is he gets on the microphone and challenges Hangman Page to a match that he knows he's not going to come out for because he's not scheduled for the show. He's in catering. <laughs> and he did that to make him look bad because he was upset about the comment Hangman made two to three months beforehand at that point. Yeah. Right. So everyone's like, wow, that's petty. There's increasing rumors in the locker room that CM Punk hates like half a dozen people backstage in the company. And it all comes to a head at their September pay-per-view, All Out, where he regains the title in the main event. He goes backstage into their post-show media scrum, and he calls the people he works with children. He says that he's trying to run a business here in front of the owner of the company. Mm -hmm. He starts trashing everyone in the company and he goes on an unhinged 20 minute rant on the things he didn't do to Colt Cabana and how Colt Cabana shares a bank account with his mother. And that's everything. And that should tell you everything you need to know about Colt Cabana. I mean, this dude is having like a 12-year-old meltdown after winning the title in the main event in his hometown of Chicago. Jeez. So after he goes on this 20-minute rant, he says, hey, if anyone wants to find me, you know where I am. Come talk to me. Mm. And so he goes to his locker room. Naturally, he trashed three executive vice presidents of the company who are also active wrestlers. And so they, with the head of legal and the head of talent relations, went to see him in his locker room to be like, dude, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. 
They go into his locker room and he immediately starts throwing hands. No, they didn't kick the door down. <laughs> they opened the door and Punk immediately starts punching at them. Oh, Him shoot. and like his little goon, Ace Steel, who trained him. And this is all start, like not act. This, this is, is not all real. real. This yeah, is yeah, all I mean, real. Yeah. This is genuine, all real. Genuine Ace Steel throws a chair at one of their eyes. Jeez. He starts biting another person who's just trying to get CM Punk's dog out of the way because he was freaking out. More punches are being thrown. CM Punk, the one who instigated all of this, starts screaming he's going to sue everyone. Yeah. And so because of this, they were all stripped of their titles. They have not been seen on AEW programming since. Oh. And they're now embroiled in legal issues because CM Punk has skin so thin that he essentially torpedoed his entire beautiful comeback career yeah. because he just couldn't handle it. Jeez. How does that make you feel? That's like I I know of like him like outside of the ring and the showbiz of that entertainment world, but like I know he's like very uh, he's a very outspoken person. Like he doesn't. Yeah, that's one yeah. way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, outspoken is probably one of the nicest ways anyone's ever described CM Punk. Yeah, like he doesn't hold back. If he has something on his mind, he will say it yeah, yeah. so dude essentially torpedoed his career by assaulting a bunch of people and insulting them all trying to take the company down with him and on that note welcome to fourth times the charm where niche is neat uh, i'm your producer ben alongside your director matt and also we have our I'm trying to figure out what Monty... He's not a first AD. He's got to head up his own department. We got our... We, we have our head of me, crafty, Monty. Oh, is it a, he should be talent relations because he's the Shea Butter. Yes, our us. head of talent relations, Monty. <laughs> this is fourth time's a charm. Niche is neat. Today we are talking about wrestling nice. weddings because I got married. Boo. I'm very excited to be tackling this. Ladies, he's off the market. That's Boo. right. Uh, same to gentlemen. Monty, how are you doing today? Pretty good. It's uh, Thanksgiving in Canada, so... But, uh, yeah, it, we well, have to cancel things because uh, my wife may have contracted uh, COVID, unfortunately. So, oh. we're, we took it easy this weekend. We just relaxed a little bit. So. That's, yeah, that's okay. good. That's, that, that's worth celebrating. True. Well, Matt, what have you been celebrating? Uh, I, I've been celebrating a lot of black metal. All right, well, it's Indigenous Peoples Day here in the United States, so I've been celebrating and remembering the peoples who, who we stole this land from horrifically. Is it officially, like, not Columbus Day anymore? I, I mean, it's Indigenous. Yeah, I think it's not. I think some people still refer to it as Columbus Day, but, like, you know... Those are the I feel like we're in like the transitioning out period of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we're in the last five years of it being having remembered as Columbus Day. So in the U.S., I can't it, wait until we start culture wars over Christmas. Oh, that's already in the U.S. Happen. It's like you guys don't call it Columbus Day no more. Then. Is well, that... well, some the I, I think the general consensus is to no longer refer to it as that. <laughs> but there are a lot of people who don't want to move on because they feel like it's happening because of like woke culture. Yeah. And so right. they reject it and they're like, no, it's Columbus Day because bra. Um, 
which is like a big response to it. Uh, though everywhere I've heard and engaged with it has called it, you know, Indigenous People's Day, or it's been Indigenous People's Day slash Columbus Day. I've seen it listed as both sometimes, hmm. which I really feel like is a is a cop out. Yeah, there's still I don't know in Canada they. Well, yeah, we don't call anything Columbus Day technically, so we well, call, yeah, yeah, we just he, celebrate he barely made it to the main, to, to North America. He definitely didn't make it near Canada. It's more like a <laughs> religious celebration. Uh, do you yeah, do you yeah. guys celebrate any colonizers? I know you celebrate like the Northwest Passage achievement, but that's not really about like colonizing people. No, I don't think we do. Not that. No. Yeah, so, Canadians yeah. don't seem like the type to celebrate their colonial history because I don't really think you have any. <laughs> like, yeah. did 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 Canada? I could be wrong. Did Canada ever colonize anybody? I'm sure they have like an island or two in the Pacific, but like, just to say no. they did. Nah, I don't think so. Not that oh, I what know a, of. what a great what a great place. <laughs> Shouts out to Canada. Yeah. We... Well, well. What what's what uh we did sell a province to to the Americans, which Yeah, but that was just part of <laughs> what is now North America. You uncolonized it. Yeah. I mean I I guess I guess you are a bunch of French douchebags who colonized the northern Not French. part of France. Not French. <laughs> British. Part of no, it. It's only the British. Quebecois, and they're not really Canadian. Oh, uh, they kind of are. <laughs> Those evil Quebecois. Hey, you know what? They, I have to defend them in the sense that they throw a really good party. I love going to Montreal. Like, if you guys ever come up, Montreal, yeah, Montreal was a lot of fun. When I you went. guys, oh, you went? Okay, yeah. so you know what it's like it's out there. It's they're freaking awesome, man. They're poutine. Okay, I, I don't, I would not necessarily have described them as awesome, but they were. I was spoken definitely a like cool a true Canadian, be. Monty. Hey, yeah. They're a, it's Canadian, a great place to go to. You're, you're just can, you're just a Canadian elitist, Monty. I would love my country. You mother Canuck. <laughs> hey, I'm a Canuck. I'm proud to say I am the North. We are the North. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so Matt, what uh, what metal did you listen to that's got you so amped up? Well, so there's there's two things. There's one that I that I shared with you guys, and there's one that you would have seen that if you followed me on Instagram. So. So my the first thing that I encountered this week, and, and I'll um, I really hope to hear from you two about this if you both listen to it, is the new album from Gone Mage. Now, Gone Mage is a project that we have followed here on Fourth Times a Charm pretty closely since their uh, since their first album last year, I believe. Was it? Was that only their first album? Yeah, that was the first. Mystical Extraction was the very first ever release. Yeah, in 2000, last year, May 7th, 2021, was the very oh, wow. first release. And we've been following Gone Mage since. Who, uh, for those who don't know, Gone Mage plays a combination of chiptune and black metal in kind of like a convergent, um, blended capacity where the the tones of the chiptune and the black metal are fully melded together, kind of creating a very, uh, creating a very unique aesthetic that is really only been touched on by very few bands and with the level of intentionality that gone mage possesses very few other bands even come close and we now with the eighth release by gone mage the third full-length studio album has been released in his handheld demise a 
brand new exploration of the curator's journey and the long form narrative that is being told across these albums. Um, and it, what really what the album boys da- boils down to is a a journey through nightmare and dreams. Um, the uh, main man behind the um, All of Gone Mage is a single man project collected uh, shorts, uh, short uh, narratives written by fans uh, about reoccurring nightmares, dreams, and other things that they had. And the, the character in the story is traveling through this purgatory-like world of like uh, dream world as they like travel through nightmare after nightmare. Um, and this is a really, really captivating evolution of Gone Mage. So Ben, as someone who isn't as, uh, as much of a stand for Gone Mage as I am, tell me, tell me what you thought about this new release, especially in comparison to, uh, mystical extraction and sudden deluge. So sudden deluge, uh, I, I I listened to I can't remember if I listened to the first one, but I definitely listened to Sudden Deluge. And that yeah. one I thought was solid. Okay. Uh I, I had my qualms with it. This one I really liked. Like yeah. I noticed a significant like jump in stuff I like in this. Mm-hmm. My only okay. thing is I feel like dude is so creative that like it's almost like I want him to hang on certain things longer. I, I mean, there is so many great riffs in in the album where like I just want a whole song of that and it's there for like five seconds but mo- moves on to something else. And like the thing he moves on to is also great. But I'm like but. <laughs> I, I'm I'm like I wanna like I want to in- I, I wanna stay here longer i mean then again it's an album about dreams so maybe that's purposeful i gave it a four and a half out of five though i i really liked it i i i am i am proud to say uh that uh i was lucky enough to actually have one of my dreams turned into a track on this album which one um which is uh track 10 hallway of hallways endlessly resetting um okay. I, I i used to have i've had this reoccurring nightmare a few times and i had it during uh terranized honeymoon actually like that was like the most recent time where it happened like super vividly where i i can halluc- uh, lucid dream to some degree um and i was like really sleep deprived and falling in and out of sleep and i had this the this reoccurring dream i've had where i'm stuck in a like an apartment building and I'm in a hallway that just never ends. And it just loops over and over again. That sounds and like The Shining. Oh, my gosh. Kind of, yeah. But it's like an office setting. And there's, no, there's like doors, but they don't. none of them open. And um, out the window is just an infinite forest that goes on forever. And uh, usually in my dreams, when like I'm in like endless loop dreams or like dreams where I'm like trapped inside a building... When I when I lucid dream, I always lucid dream by like jumping out windows or flying as a way of like breaking out of the dream state that I'm stuck in or like moving on to something different. But in this in this reoccurring dream, it like it is impossible to escape. So like it usually in the dream when I jump out the window, the, the dream just resets. But in, in in this instance, what kept happening was I would try to like fly away and then all I would see is trees until I could see like a parking lot. And then, like, in my, for some reason, the dream, I kept going to the parking lot. 
And every time I'd get there, I'd start like waiting for like the bus or like trying to find a car to leave until eventually like people that I knew from my life would start coming out of the woods smiling like in that new movie smile. And if they got anywhere near me or touched me, I'd instantly reset back to the beginning of the dream again. Gosh, that's intense. Um, Yeah. And I've had that. I've had that reoccurring dream like on and off throughout my whole life, like not my whole life, but like. Uh, I've, yeah, I've had, I've had that dream on and off for about 10 years and I, it most recently uh, happened in like, a in that lu- semi lucid state, um, not too long ago. And so when, uh, Gary was asking fans, uh, for input on, on dreams, like I sent one in and he actually, uh, used part of it for this song, which is really fucking cool. Uh, now, now that I've said that, uh, I will give, I will give my unbiased review of the album. Um, yeah. Where I so in black metal, I think there is, and this is this will lead into my other my other conversation. Um, black metal, as Ben knows, and and Monty and I had this discussion the other night, um, where I would if like if we were ranking like tiers of knowledge and things, where like it like it goes from like beginner to novice to apprentice to student to journeyman to expert to master grandmaster to like sage which is like you know unachievable by humanity um, so dungeons and dragon I, rating system <laughs> yeah basically like of lore like i would say ben is like a master to a grandmaster of like wrestling um i would say for like black metal i'm like a high expert range and, and amongst our friends i'm the i'm a grandmaster but like in reality i'm like expert ish to like journeyman and Ben has like comfortably kind of moved up into like the like high high novice apprentice ranking, and Monty, you've you haven't even begun your path. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but the one thing that it's all I'll say to me, one of the most important things about black metal and about what black metal means to me is the fact that it is meant to push the boundaries of what metal and what music is doing. Black metal to me is such a is a genre that that can transcend and transform itself a million times and have any influence attached with it because it is about like pushing the boundaries and pushing um things to their extremity within a confine that allows for true within the confines that allows for true experimentation and one of the things that has always caught my attention about gone mage was not just the fact that they were combining like 8-bit sounds and uh chiptune and video games with the black metal aesthetic it's how pissed off some black metal elitists get hmm. because when when the first album came out when mystical extraction and sun deluge came out because they came out very close to one another i fell in love with them instantly as the if you, you go back and listen to our podcast episodes about it um and i really found it like the sound was really refreshing it felt progressive it was is interesting it was engaging i've always kind of liked chiptune and 8 8 bit music and so i was i was all in and so i shared it with the like many of these elitist black metal groups and like a lot of people that i spoke to didn't get it or didn't like it because they were like how could you combine these two things like chiptune has no place in black metal and all this garbage hmm. um and but to me that meant that he was truly doing something important within black metal. Yeah. You know, because, because mm. just like when black metal started death metal fans and other musicians were like, you can't do this dissonant sounds like garbage. Sounds like it was recorded in a tin can music that was done in that capacity with the intention 
of combating against what was being done in the music at the time. And throughout conversations with uh, the gentleman behind Gone Mage and with other black metal fans who actually like this, uh, this genre, the, the combination of electronic music in any form with black metal, really there's always a, a constant drive to reach a, like a harmonious balance. Hmm. A, a a back and forth between the two influences to the point where does it is it still black metal at if it if it combines these two things too much because are you are you relying too much on this influence and it's no longer a black metal album or it's no longer a chip tune album because it's just black metal and sudden deluge and uh, mystical extraction was a real to me a real 50 50. Like there was chiptune and there was black metal and they were adjacent and they were working together, but they weren't like fully integrated. It's like a, it's like a bolognese that you try, that you serve too soon. So the flavors haven't fully incorporated, but you'll still taste all the flavors and it's still delicious. Um, Mystic Sudden Deluge saw, uh, saw Gary take that a bit deeper. Um, there was a bit more integration. The sound was smoother. It was more aggressive, but also more, free flowing and open because I think the identity had been defined at this point with his second introduction into this world. But I think what we got here in handheld demise is, is we're finally seeing the full fully baked in blend of what chiptune and black metal sounds like. Um, We've like gone past the experimentation and the development of the sound. And this is where it is really, really solidified. And I think we see that uh, that does a lot to support um, Gone Mage's other influences, which have some kind of like alternative, um, like indie rock, like post hardcore sections Mm. Um, where we actually get to see like these like small, soft delivered moments across the album that really show the variety of influence, but still feel completely baked in. Um, so I, I, I agree with Ben's rating of this is like a four and a half, like a 4.75 out of five. Um, it's very, it's going to be very contentious for this album within my top three albums of the year. Not, not only have I been diving into Gone Mage, but the thing that's going to make the top album of the year very contentious for me is that I went to attend a very, very incredible event out in Chicago, in Chicago this weekend called Gems Fest. Now, Gems Fest was an underground black metal festival that I found through the Order of the Black Arts on Facebook, and it was one of the most incredible black metal metal experiences I've ever had in a very long time. Um, this was a festival where we saw not one, not two, but three different bands making their debut performances. Um, and, to, and, to, and to put it short, uh, very briefly, Monty and I had a long discussion about what it meant to be a music fan and what it meant to explore music as like a young person who's becoming older. And I personally was always kind of striving to find the new thing to be part of a community that meant a lot to me because that's what metal and music always has been to me as a community I'm a part of. And this was one of those events where I really I felt like I got to see something born something new happening within the genre. And it was a part of like, in, in a sense to me, like a moment in history um, where, where I, I was hoping to see somebody come on stage and prove to be the future. 
And let me tell you, Ben, and I shared this album with you, and I, you're going to have to listen to it at some point because it's going on the goddamn top 10 of the year. Um, <laughs> well, the band that headlined the event in their debut performance was a band called Satan. And it Satan. is. Satan. I posted multiple videos of it on my YouTube. You can check out my new YouTube channel called uh, Dr. Gore Wizard Archives. Um, oh i i have all i found a a huge amount of my old concert footage when i was a kid and i have it all uploaded on there and i also uploaded the footage that i took from gem fest if you want to go and check on any of these bands playing live the audio is surprisingly not garbage through my phone um but satan played this like very energetic very f- almost fun black metal sound and they go absolutely wild the stage presence the performance the the depth of commitment they brought to the stage was one of the most incredible things I've seen, especially in such a small venue. The energy was through the roof. The songs are incredible. The black metal is great. Um, we'll talk heavily about their album, Ori 2, Her Spirit Eternal in the Future. But shout out to Gems Fest. Shout out to the label Gems who got these all these bands together in Chicago. And shout out to Underground Metal. And that that are the two awesome things that I got to do recently shouts and, out to them yeah and shouts out, out to our beautiful fans as well i'm doing something fancy here we're talking wrestling today and so because of that i want to hear from our wrestling fans so here's what we're gonna do i want you to follow subscribe to fourth times the charm i want you to give us five stars on whatever reviewing outlet you have at your disposal want you to send a screen cap and make sure that gets to us and within the next two weeks so not the next episode but the episode after i'll give you guys some time for this we're going to do a giveaway and from here on out whenever we have a wrestling based podcast we're going to do a giveaway wow and i have a floor of wrestling figures i have like a dozen wrestling figures we're talking from wcw we're talking from aew we're talking i think there's some wwe ones some ecw might be in there and when you win you get to pick one item from that list and i will send it to you free of charge all right we're talking new inbox aew figures ringside collectible exclusive figures for aew fans Uh, some like variants from wcw ring fighters i'm gonna post a picture of everything we have when the episode goes out on the instagram but i want you guys to be aware free wrestling collectible you literally just need to send us a screen cap of you subbed and a five-star review and then you could be the person who's getting a free action figure. Flip it if you want to. I don't care. We just want more people to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> and I want to share some of the love with you guys. All right. There will be a Frank the Clown micro brawler. Oh, that is shit. up for grabs. Oh. I'm not fucking around here. It's that easy, guys. It's that easy. Can't That's get right. any easier Damn. than that. Oh my god. And gosh. so with that said, there's nothing better in wrestling than a good wedding. Welcome to Wedding Days, where we talk about the best and brightest <laughs> or the low and dullest in pro wrestling weddings. I am your uh, officiant of the evening, Ben, Matt and Monty. 
Are you guys ready to talk about some beautiful pro wrestling weddings? You, you know, you know, I am. I think the holy matrimony within wrestling is a beautiful way of ca- capturing the essence of any given era of wrestling. The the pro wrestling wedding is uh, interesting. It is a creation of the then WWF, as I'm sure. Most wrestling fans could probably guess it is the most reality TV that pro wrestling ever gets. It's some of the silliest, dumbest, but massive ratings draws that the wrestling world can ever hope for. Um, And there is a formula to getting it right. There's a formula to getting it wrong. But today we're going to look at the highlights of some of the best wrestling weddings of all time. And that includes some that you probably haven't heard of. And the biggest example of that is going to be, as far as I can tell, the first true pro wrestling wedding. Matt, do you have any idea of what Tuesday Night Titans was? Uh, uh, Tuesday Night Titans was a television program that was on on Tuesdays and mm-hmm. exclusively featured really big guys wrestling. So Tuesday Night Titans is uh, uh. one of the greatest wrestling concepts that they've never brought back. It was a weekly studio show featuring wrestlers doing weird shit. It was hosted by Vince McMahon. So think like Johnny Carson or Jay Leno yeah. or Jimmy Fallon. It's a variety Except hour. it's hosted by Vince McMahon and he's interviewing and doing stuff with wrestlers. Oh shit! Okay. Like how far yeah. back did this go? I don't remember hearing it, or maybe I just never saw it on the Canada side, on the north side of the border. So this, yeah. that I don't know, but it was in the eighties. Oh. Same okay. time as the Rock and Wrestling cl- uh, Connection, and honestly, if you want insight into the mind of Vince McMahon, Tuesday Night Titans seems to be what he really wanted wrestling to be this whole time. And our first wedding today between the evil Paul Vachon and Ophelia is probably the single most Vince McMahon segment I have ever seen in my life because it features every single one of Vince McMahon's strange proclivities in like fetishes and weird oh, shit, shit all in one segment. Uh, just to, just to get started off. What do you guys, when you guys watched this wedding, what emotions immediately came to your mind? Yeah. So by, by about a minute and a half in the, the word that would come to my mind was ridiculous. Um, but the, the, the emotion I was, so I, I've seen some wrestling weddings in the past. And so I, I have some preconceived notions of what I expect to happen. And I felt a tremendous level of concern. Uh, as, as, this ma- as this wedding began to unfold, I was just waiting for something borderline horrific to happen. So that's, that's, that's as it's unfolding, that's where I'm at. Especially with like the bumbling priest and them having a... Uh, a little person as the as like the person in the ring. It's like oh Ooh. oh you mean you mean Reverend Lipschitz? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, so uh, so Reverend Lipschitz uh, introduces ourselves to the ceremony, 
mm-hmm. and Howard Finkel is also there to introduce everyone. Okay. Uh, he announces the wedding of Paul the Butcher Vashon. This is scheduled for one fall with an infinite time limit. That that shit was gold. So one of the things you'll notice immediately in this is that the audience are the heel managers, which okay. is a staple of WWF programming that went away in the 90s. Uh, what happened essentially is that when Vince McMahon Sr. sold the company to Vince Jr., okay. he said, here's a list of my guys. You mm-hmm. need to take care of my guys. And it was like half a dozen to ten people. Okay. And Vince was like, sure. Gorilla Monsoon was on there. Uh, Mr. Fuji was on that list. Uh, mm. I think Lou Albano might have been on there. And so what Vince did is a lot of those guys ended up being figureheads or managers. Um, yeah. And especially coming out of the territory era where not everyone could cut these animated promos, these heel managers were the top heels in the company outside of Paul Orndorff and Roddy Piper. This took place in December 1984, so you have to remember, we're still a few months away from WrestleMania 1, where Mr. T comes into the picture. This is like, this is less than a year into Hulk Hogan coming into the company Mm, and winning the world title. Oh, okay. Holy shit, okay. And so this is really where the WWF is getting its character. Vince McMahon has only had full control of the company since 1982. So this is like two and a half years into him molding it into his vision of the company. I mean, like Jim Crockett Promotions, AWA. The AWA is a genuine competitor to Vince McMahon right now. World-class championship wrestling is a genuine competitor to Vince McMahon right now. Like, that's where this landscape is. And so Vince McMahon's leaning more into the comedy. But these heel managers are the backbone of his villains because the managers can take a punch. They can screw over the baby face. They're an out. They're a guaranteed out to allow people to lose on television and be okay with it. Because normally wrestlers never want to lose clean when, when like everyone can see it. If you look at the first WrestleMania, it's a shit show. Um, so the whole time, The main comedy from the wedding is coming from the managers at ringside who are essentially catcalling the whole time. Yeah, Uh, Some of that comedy has aged better than others, but we open with Freddie Blassie already going crazy. Captain Lou Albano is literally... uh, Who? The the guy in the red shirt going crazy the whole time. Who never uh, stops Classy Freddie Blassie, who was a wrestler in the 50s. Okay. Uh, he would probably be best known to you or most significant to you as he was Hulk Hogan's first manager. Oh, he I know who he is. Oh, yeah. Okay. WWF. Uh, his catchphrase was calling people pencil necked geeks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hell yeah. Meanwhile, in the background, you can see Captain Lou Albano, who's genuinely just wandering around the set, around the around the wedding platform, which is just a wrestling ring. Uh, we have the best man come out, the butcher Paul Vachon, wearing a bright top hat. It's a beautiful uh, top hat. Or I, I'm sorry, Mad Dog Vachon comes out 
Uh, and then the butcher, Paul Vachon, the groom comes up. My apologies. He's wearing the bright top hat. Uh, and Vince McMahon says that he's getting married for, quote, the very last time, hopefully. <laughs> uh, the maid of honor is the fabulous Mula, the woman who pimped out generations of female talent for her own personal gain. May she wait, rot whoa, in whoa. hell. Wait, oh, she's wait, a whoa, legend, whoa, whoa, isn't whoa. she? Well, let's let's oh, unpack let's no. unpack that fucking statement because I don't know what the hell you're talking about. So the fabulous <laughs> Mula is reportedly world ch- women's world champion for thirty years. One, that's false. She lost the title plenty of times. Then, two, the only reason that happened is because she monopolized the whole women's division, uh, women's wrestling in North America. She essentially made them all a traveling troupe under her, and. She became popular because she would use, she would pimp out the women's wrestlers to the men's locker room. And then the fact that they wrestled oh. was like a side thing. What the fuck? Yeah. Is that Several where, people like, have I, come I mean, out about this. But like, you know, she managed to politic her way into becoming the main choice for Vince McMahon and the WWF. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And when when, and when is when does that start compared to what we're seeing now? So in relation to this wedding, when I mean she was wrestling in the fifties, you know. Okay. uh, So like fifties through her last world title win was in I think eighty five, and she lost it that same year. Okay. And the only reason she did that was because Wendy Richter wanted a pay raise, so Vince McMahon had her show up under a mask forcibly oh. pin Wendy Richter in the ring to screw her out of the title a la Bret Hart and mm. then uh, take the Classic title Vince. with her. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Wendy Richter was never seen again. Uh, but yeah, so Mess May, May Mula Rotten Hell um, the miserable bitch. <laughs> wow. She is dead. I did not yeah. know that about her. But Yeah, it all came out when they were going to make a memor- fabulous Mula Memorial Battle Royal like three years ago. And then Snickers heard what she did and they threatened to pull their sponsorship from WrestleMania. Wait, so, was this recent or like the the? the I whole... mean, the, the stories came out in the last 10 years. Yeah, oh, it's a recent like Leo. after her death. Damn. Okay. That's yeah. How much money would they have lost if Snickers had pulled out, do you think? I mean, like, who's to say, really? But really, Fabulous Moolah's legacy Probably like uh, few is millions. holding back women's wrestling <laughs> for 50 years. Like, if you want to point to one person who's, who's the reason why, you know, women were throwing each other in mud pits and shit, it's easy to blame Vince McMahon, but Fabulous Moolah was the one who set that in motion. Hmm. So that leaves uh, a bad taste. We have our flower girl (laughs) is Diamond Lil. They say, quote, she's a snotty little one. One of the uh, managers at ringside. And then Jesse Ventura steals her flowers and smashes them. The heel. Sky Lolo comes out as the ring bearer and classy Freddie Blassie trips him and assaults him. And while Freddie Blassie is beating on this little person, Vince McMahon is pissing himself laughing. Yeah, Vince dies. Vince is like having the best time of his goddamn life. Uh, I mean, he isn't brutal. Upset. Well, like to your point, like he has a fetishization of them. Yes. So as he does with many people. Um, 
So giving the bride away is George the Animal Steel. <laughs> On the call right now is Lord Alfred Hayes. And as I label him, all days off Vince McMahon. This is like, this wedding, if you've seen wrestling it, it, and, and you want an insight as to Vince McMahon, the person, you should watch this. Because Vince McMahon has like his Sunday casuals on. He yeah, is really like relaxed. so chilled out and vibing out. Like this is what he wants in life. Uh, this is when we get our first commercial break with the tagline coming up. I promise thee back from break. The apparently Irish reverend uh, is giving his regular spiel uh, while we're getting like Statler and Waldorf like call outs from the heel managers at ringside. Uh, but then we get an objection. We get an objection from Captain Lou Albano, who who storms up into the ring, and he says, Paul, you've been married four or five, five or six times before, Paul. And this woman is a virgin, Paul. This bride-to-be is a virgin, Paul. I object. Wait, you're my friend. What are you doing this Because for? she's a virgin, a, lily white virgin. No, 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 no. always no. been my friend. No, 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 Paul. No, 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 no. Don't she's worry about she's it. a virgin, Paul. Don't worry about it. Lou, she's not a virgin. Don't worry about it. Oh, what did you say, Paul? Well, that's all right. Hey, she's not a virgin. She's not a virgin. This woman's a virgin. She is a virgin, he screams. You can't marry this virgin. And then Vishan interrupts him. And he says, no, 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 no. She's not a virgin. To which Lou Albano goes, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we are back from break and the reverend refers to Ophelia as the broad instead of the bride. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, he then refers to her as Betty instead of Ophelia. How rude. Uh, and and as we are getting close to the end of the ceremony, the screams are getting louder from the peanut gallery. George Steele starts repeatedly screaming, hey. Uh, but we manage, in spite of it all, to get them both to say, I do. <laughs> and these two were wed, not just on television, but in real life, okay. This, so this was is, a legitimate, this one actual counts. wedding. Okay, yes. like this, this is the our first real wedding of the day. And was this the the legit ceremony for their legit yes. wedding? Yes. Yeah, this was the legit oh, the ceremony. Fucking, and then the the circle thing falls on top of them at the end too. The circle thing falls on top of them. Doctor D. David Schultz interrupts and he gives Vishan a big body slam. <laughs> uh, and we cut to break because it's time for the reception. Complete, absolute nonsense. They're, oh, yeah. they're at the reception, and I'll be honest. All the reception is is a goddamn food fight. Well, we're getting there. Dr. D. David Schultz shows up, and he says the only reason why he interrupted the wedding is he wants to make sure that Ophelia does all the chores... The cooking, the cleaning, she takes care of the kids, and she's like, okay. Uh, I'm, like, I'm like, what the fuck? 
Oh man! I, like, well, and it, it's just... it's hilarious how incomprehensible this is if you don't know who any of these people are. When you when yeah, you watch I mean, he's this a from heel, the outside, so I guess it's okay. But like, uh. so how how does this end? Doctor D takes the cake and he smashes it in her face. <laughs> well, he spends he spends about two minutes talking about. He's like, "Do you think you're dumb? Do you know you're dumb?" It's like some of the most like disturbing material out there. Yeah, he gets like borderline abusive. No, it's it. it's not borderline like, abusive. Like, he gets abusive. Well, yeah, but like, I mean, like he's a heel on the show, sure, which is like why it's borderline. But like he's doing legitimate like, like abusive mind games. It's a very gaslighting. Very strange. Yeah, it's fucking. And so when disturbing. he's done gaslighting her. He takes the cake and he smashes it in her face. I mean, ethers her. And she gives out a genuine scream like she was not prepared for it. (laughs) And then everyone laughs at her, which makes me think that they did this just to prank her. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's when the pies come out. Oh, my gosh. They get the pies out and they start a pie fight. (laughs) And Vince McMahon... This might be, on footage, the greatest five to ten minutes of Vince McMahon's life. I mean, he sounds like a ten-year-old on Christmas morning as these people are pieing each other. He literally says, oh, please don't pie me. Oh, please don't pie me. As he's, like, actively getting in the way of people so they can pie him. Oh, I mean, man. the man said to eat cake, you eat cake. You don't like cake, huh? No, I don't like Well, I like cake, see? I like cake. Won't you take No! Oh, my God, no! Oh, my God, no! I can't believe that. Oh, wait a minute. Hold up, please. Just a minute, please. Please. No, please. No! Let's please maintain the water. No, please. Oh, the Reverend. Please. Oh. 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 Please no. No. Oh my goodness, please let's have a maintain a little order if you don't mind. It's the weirdest most like strangest thing possible cuz Vince is cackling. Yeah, Vince, I mean, yeah. he's almost crying. He's laughing so hard. And you know, this is all he ever wanted. This is like his fucking dream come true. He's like breaking yeah. character. He like he doesn't even know what he's doing anymore after a while. So he says thank you for that, Vince does, <laughs> after being pied. The pies continue to be thrown, and then they eventually just start trashing the whole set, Eric Andre style. <laughs> Like someone, there, there's a masked this lady is, this, in attendance. This really is like pre-Eric Andre, Eric Andre. This is almost better than Eric Andre. Yeah, because this is real. Yeah, this is, you can see how uncomfortable. This is, this is like what Eric Andre came from. Oh, I don't you know. Gosh. I don't know who is sitting there in like the Hawaiian shirts. The, the I don't know the names of the, uh, the performers, but they look so just like not ready for this. And there's kids in the background too. The band looks like they're about to like evacuate 
Two of them pick up a random masked woman, who I guess is one of the wrestlers there, and they just pick her up and take her away. (laughs) And it's so alarming that they literally need to add in a shot of them setting her down backstage because it looks like they're taking well, her Well, and it, at some point, it starts throwing fucking chairs at people. <laughs> yeah. Like a chair I mean, almost like, hits vents. Out of all the weddings we talk about here, this is the most fascinating thing to watch. Like, you cannot... Because real, like, it's this true is, chaos. They don't, they don't even when, know what to when, do when they start spraying, like, <laughs> wine and champagne on each other. Jeez. When people talk about knowing Vince... This is what they need to be talking about. Because this is what Vince McMahon wants on his TV. Yeah, it's like it's a, it's This a explains kid. the weird fart jokes, the cuckolding, <laughs> all these weird storylines Vince has. Like, this is, the, this is the unfettered mind of the guy before he met Dick Ebersole, mm-hmm. before he became corporate, before he truly went nationwide. Yeah. Like, this is him uncut. And it's bizarre to watch. Live and in color. It's fascinating. Genuinely a fascinating wedding to watch. And it's, but like, you need the, you need the context from Ben to to really enjoy what the hell is going on. (laughs) Because otherwise it is like incomprehensible, absurdist comedy. Because like, it's like, I know Vince McMahon is there and then everything else is just utter fucking chaos. He runs around with a 7-Up bottle trying to spray people with soda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you guys know what Vince McMahon thinks the funniest thing in the world is? Nothing good. From Vince himself, what does he think is the funniest thing in the world? I, I, I don't know. The Holocaust? <laughs> okay, Monty. I, I am clueless. Like, Three Stooges, I guess. I don't know. Close. It's throwing an unsuspecting person into his pool. Oh. <laughs> well, whenever he did it, he he died laughing. That's it amazing. was the greatest thing in the world to him. I that makes ever incorporate so that ever since like he took over uh, the wrestling business? Like, was there anything? I guess during the raw era, uh, the, you know, the attitude era, like that he did something similar to that, I guess. What, what to pushing people in a pool? Yeah. I mean, the women wrestled in like mud pit matches. Where they started like, WCW yeah. actually had shows that were like the ring was on top of a pool. Wait, Ben, you, you, you forgot to mention that during this event, they actually tried to rip the shirt off the masked woman. They tried. They were like viciously ripping her blouse off as they were yep. shoving cake down it. And Vince yep. came and covered her up and like let oh her off gosh. to safety. Yeah, unhinged. Th- this is when people are like, "Oh, you know, the Undertaker talks about going back to good old days." Yeah, these are the good old days. <laughs> yeah, were those old days that good? These guys all had well, knives in their pockets and guns, and they resolved issues. Like men. Well, <laughs> there's that. That wrestling wedding's been pretty much lost to time. But there's a bit of a simpler wrestling wedding that came after that, and it's the wedding between Macho Man Randy Savage oh. and Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, that's the one I remember the most because I was a from kid SummerSlam, and genuinely, this is, this is just a great wedding. 
the match made in heaven and the match made in hell. I remember that tagline. Yeah. That's right. And this was the main event of the show. Right? Like, a oh. basic, simple, beautiful wedding. It's just a Macho wedding. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, the fact that they it, took the ropes down of the, off the ring is, I think, what really solidifies this as being something different than everything else we're going to watch. Especially in an era where, like, they never did that. Yeah. They would never alter the ring for any, Like, them putting a cage over it was seen as bizarre, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So we we open, and I think commentary for this is really good. It's one of the few times I really enjoy Roddy Piper on commentary. Mm. He's on commentary with the classic pairing of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. Yeah. And as soon as it starts, Roddy Piper reams Bobby Heenan. (laughs) Is like, if you say anything out of line, I will beat the shit out of you (laughs) under no circumstance. Okay. So Macho comes out. This is like prime level ultimate baby face Macho man. He's got the glitter. He's in the all white. I mean, he's spinning. He's coked out of his fucking mind. This is like Godhead Macho man. This is like full Bray Wyatt has ascended past the Firefly Funhouse. Yeah, this, this is like... This Macho Man is like the Macho Man people remember. Like, this is the full-on, yep. like, you go to heaven and you see Macho Man. Yep. This is the Macho Man you see. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. the Bobby Heenan, like, this is also the prime of his career, and he has some killer lines in here. Because mm-hmm. uh, Piper is threatening him, but Bobby just can't help himself. Uh, he... He asks as Macho Man's walking out, when do they have the reading of the will? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Piper is great at really setting the tone here. Uh, Miss Elizabeth comes out and Piper says very quaintly, next to my wife, she's the prettiest girl I've ever seen. No. Which is like such a genuinely amazing compliment. Yeah, it really is. He says if his marriage is half as successful as his career, he'll be happy, which is true and unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but they have a very basic ceremony. The whole thing goes like five minutes and we, we have the classic moment that for anyone who's ever seen it, it's probably still etched in your mind, which is just the whole thing. (laughs) Like it, like this segment shows when people talk about what wrestling is lacking, it's Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the talent or the whatever, but you don't have anyone in wrestling right now who could main event a pay-per-view with a talking segment. Well, there's one, but like there's one, the fact that he just came back at extreme rules. But like the crowd pops hard for this too. Yeah, they're not yeah. like yeah. they're not like oh yeah, this is nice. They're legit. Yeah, it's not a consolation hype. prize. Yeah, the, this is like what the people w- like wanted to see the show for was this. Yeah, and there's no fun. and that's what's awesome about the WWE style of wrestling mm-hmm. is like when it works, you get so hyped up for the most basic. Well, this is thing. this is literally like the marriage of Spider Man and Gwen Stacy, or in, uh, of Mary right. Jane. Like it was like a foundational moment in history because it was just a genuinely nice wedding. Uh, And they saved all the chicanery 
for after the wedding at the reception, which they played on, I believe, primetime wrestling or superstars uh, after the pay-per-view. Uh, it shows Macho Man and Elizabeth welcoming everyone to what looks like a genuinely nice reception. Mm-hmm. Like, it looks like they actually had a reception, which is great. Macho Man's welcoming everyone, and he sounds like a Muppet, because he's, like, still... Because that's his voice, more or less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when he's saying hi to people, you know, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, the camera gets a shot of him and he says, out of focus, but, but I like cool. you too. I like you too. Very good. Thank you very much for everything. <laughs> he's just ben, vibing out. I want you to know. Very few people. I want you to know that I started playing that the, the, the clip of this section of the wedding and your timing with the video clip was a hundred percent accurate it was for fucking beta one of the greatest things i've ever experienced your mouth your voice moved at the exact pace of his mouth <laughs> i'm watching it too oh, the same. oh my god this is pretty good that's and a this, wrestlemania moment yeah, was, right there and this was a shoot wedding right we'll get to that after okay. um so we get to uh the cake cutting and the dancing macho and liz are mauling each other's faces off which hey they got married good for them yeah uh it genuinely looks like a really fun time uh the only strange thing is that they start clapping when they do their first dance and they just keep clapping Mm. i don't know if that's like a thing unending pop yeah it was really like because you could tell when it should have stopped and they're like Vince is still going, so I guess we'll yeah we gotta keep, we'll keep going. <laughs> yeah, uh, they do the cake cutting, and the cake falls apart. I don't know where they got that from. Uh, it looked a little maybe that a was a, dry. that might have been a genuine accident. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Then they start opening the gifts. Oh yes. And your union in marriage. Right there, nice ribbon right there, right there. Not gonna wait for nothing. Got a blender, yeah. Hey. Got a you blender. can put together a few cocktails in that. It's in there right like there. I got a blender right oh, here. Randy, That's great. Fantastic, yeah. Randy, we need uh-huh. to wait. We're going to make out like bandits right now. Uh-huh. Very good. Elizabeth, open up a desk. Who I got me that? That was fantastic, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Uh-huh. Is that gorgeous? Candlesticks. Oh, Unbelievable, yeah. By the way, Elizabeth, that right. wedding dress is just... Well, it's Next just time, tremendous. send money. Uh-huh. No, that's all right. I'm just kidding right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for anyone who's watched BoJack Horseman, Macho Man talks like Mr. Peanut Butter. Uh, and once you hear it, you really, really can't unhear it. Uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> A little bit where he's just speaking completely extemporaneously at the top of his mind. Maybe. Uh, and then to close the segment, he's attacked by Macho Man and the or by uh, Jake Roberts and the Undertaker, which is a really simple angle. But because everything else was so grounded, them just randomly attacking him is pretty like crazy well, and the, to watch. And the snake, yeah. and the snake, oh, yes, the snake looks, is legitimately terrifying. <laughs> yeah, the the snake's crazy. Like, Elizabeth looks um, like she's going to fucking have a panic attack. Overall, a beautiful segment, uh, probably the best wrestling wedding ever. I, I mean, I don't, 
I don't yeah. really know if there's any competition, all things considered. It's, it's the most um, genuine wrestling damn. wedding to ever be done. She was trying to cover her well, laugh when she screamed. I, I was just watching it. It's like, oh my god. Yeah, Elizabeth wasn't the best no. actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, interesting fact. They uh, were actually already married for several years. Okay, That's true. Yeah. Macho Man yeah. and Elizabeth had a strange relationship. Because in wrestling, if you bring your girlfriend or your wife on the road, they're going to cheat with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Or they're going to cheat on you. Yeah, It's a general rule of the road. Yeah. Macho Man's like, uh-uh, that's not going to happen to me. Uh, because whenever she wasn't around Macho Man, uh, which she was 95% of the time, he'd do shit like lock her in the closet until he was done with his match. Oh, shit. Um, what the fuck? That's fine. It was not a healthy relationship. No, uh, really. It's been detailed in bits and pieces. Um, this here was, in a way, them trying to repair their marriage. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, because around the time they were trying to have kids, which is why he lost his retirement match and was taken off the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, around a year after this, they'd be getting divorced. Oh. Um, so instead of this being the beginning of something beautiful, it was actually the last vestige of something that represented greatness, even if much like many things in the 80s, it was much darker once the uh, curtain was pulled away. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she... They're both dead now. Macho Man died of a heart attack and wrecked his car. And Miss Elizabeth died of a pill overdose a few years beforehand uh while she was staying with lex luger yeah there that one wow, was a really it. odd relationship too the, the lex lex and elizabeth um, yeah, yeah uh yeah. but lex is almost a paraplegic so you know he he paid for his price as well <laughs> so sad story all around there wow that, moving that, on that let's talk about something that's sweating yeah. So moving on from that, let's talk about something a little more positive. Yeah, upbeat. Let's talk about evil cultist marriage. Well, this is like this is literally like televised rape. So well, actually, not not yet. This not is, well, yet. I don't want to get I don't want to get ahead of myself. What what we're entering now is the Stephanie McMahon arc because, as it turns out, Stephanie McMahon has been involved in. More wrestling weddings than I think anyone <laughs> yeah. else of yep. all time. Yep. Uh, even in our selection here, she's been involved in three of the most notable weddings ever. And the first one she was involved in was the black wedding between the kidnapped Stephanie McMahon and The Undertaker. Um, We're going to go with the brass tacks of this. Yeah. Because I, I can't get into the whole Vince McMahon was actually in charge and blah, 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 blah. It was very uh, <laughs> Long story short, The Undertaker kidnapped Stephanie and was using her as collateral to gain control of the World Wrestling Federation from Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon balked and begged Stone Cold Steve Austin to save her. And Steve Austin was like, LOL, no. And and genuinely, Stephanie in this segment gives a incredible performance. 
Stephanie McMahon would have had a future in horror yeah. if she wanted to. Oh, she, yeah. like, she proves that she, she is has, a scream queen here. She's not a good happy actress, no. but terrified actress. Especially like, when she was young. Yeah, like even angry, which she developed later on. Like she gives great final girl energy. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, she could die in the uh, middle, beginning or end of the movie, and each time it would work. But then, <laughs> yeah. but then we have Taker. So uh, the Undertaker comes out to his coolest entrance theme ever, yeah. the the Ministry theme. No, no, the the which is just the ultimate like demonic evil shit ever i still think um, the best thing he ever walked out to is oh fortuna that, not that's, the kid rock one <laughs> no sure roll roland's a hard number three. Oh man he's had a lot of good themes he's, outside of his bad acting his themes his themes have been incredible <laughs> i don't think he has so, a single bad one as taker i have to say yeah that's uh, true yeah yeah i'll agree with that yeah. It's locked in. It's on air. It's canon for the podcast now. So this is also our first wedding with Jim Ross on commentary. And this is Jim Ross in his prime. Mm -hmm. Like, dude is selling the shit out of this undead wizard trying to marry this 20-year-old girl just out of college. (laughs) JR is freaking out on commentary. And thank God we don't have the child molester Jerry Lawler on commentary. We oh, have Jim Cornette instead. It would have been bad who, if he was there. Yeah, Cornette's like very good at being like somber and genuinely concerned in this segment. Uh, JR has some great lines where he's like, he asks, has Vince McMahon ever done anything to justify this and it's a great frame to set because you think of all the horrible things vince has done to steve austin over the last year yeah and you're still like come on this is pretty brutal like this is marrying his daughter away to satan against his will Mm. (laughs) while she like brutally screams in the ring too while she's tied to not a cross it's a symbol. Yes. Yeah. They had to be very careful not to call Undertaker's symbol a, a cross. cross. It's well, a they, symbol. They also they also are very clear to not say he, she's crucified on it, but yes, she's been placed there yes. yep. and tied up while uh, Paul Bearer uh, goes through the ceremony. Undertaker says that he is not to blame for what is about to happen here. And Matt, how would you characterize the undertaker's promo skills? He, he sounds like the people who I've met at the Renaissance fair that have been there for 10 years and have still been doing the exact same character. It's stilted. It's there's a false sense of confidence that is very unearned. Yes. Uh, around this time J- chris jericho enters the company oh, and okay. and he's supposed to cut a response to a promo undertaker cuts earlier in the show okay. and the undertaker cuts like this 15 minute long promo about how him and the big show need to see eye to eye so they took motorcycles and drove into the desert 
But then Big Show realizes he only has enough gas in the tank to take him halfway. And the Undertaker leaves him in the desert. And then Big Show comes <laughs> back to him a week later wearing snakeskin boots. And it really <laughs> makes yeah. no sense. And Jericho comes out later and he goes, that was the worst promo I've ever heard in my life. And he got heat. Because oh, they're like, right. you can't say that his promo's all... He's like, but it was. It was the most Awful. boring thing I've ever listened to in my life. But Taker got away with it because at a tenure of, what was it at the time? Like six years, which yeah. seems crazy now. Seven years. He was the most tenured guy in the company. No, he, so he, he got away. that credit and that reputation for his whole yeah. career. Yeah. Uh, I, I bet he probably doesn't want to say now that in like 97, 98, he was weighing options of whether or not to go WCW. Oh man. Imagine, uh, imagine the world difference we would have. Yeah. It would probably not be much. All things considered. Ta- uh, no the only, the only thing is it would have damaged undertaker's legacy. Yeah. It would have ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, undertaker is a very good talent used the right way, but he's also an example of Vince doing something that for some reason he never did with any other wrestler ever where he hides their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. undertaker in his 35 year career was never has never will never be a good promo. No, mm-hmm. never. <laughs> He's had good promos, but he will never be a good promo. But, but Vince, Vince will intentionally highlight people's failings on television and on pay-per-views yeah and he, but he, it's all right he keeps taker safe yeah. but it's all right because uh triple h is here and bray wyatt's back yep so everything is saved uh, yeah uh <laughs> see him punk got in a fist fight backstage in an event andrade <laughs> got in a fist fight at the backstage in an event everything's fine hey look triple h is back <laughs> yay paul bear opens up with This is some people's like fetishized ideal wedding though. And while Stephanie is screaming no, the ceremony is thankfully interrupted by Ken Shamrock. Do you guys remember Ken yeah. Shamrock at all? People, yeah. Yeah. I remember him losing in, in, in UFC. <laughs> uh, dude, he's still bitter about that. I know. There's the shoes. Still bitter about that. Uh, I will say though, for as bitter as can may be for some things i think in wrestling 
he's extremely underrated. Uh-huh, Dude yeah. was awesome. He yeah. also helped make The Rock. That's true. Wow. Uh, that is true. Yeah. Wait, really? The The yeah. Rock actually made a rare non WWE appearance for uh, Impact because Ken Shamrock was their first world champion, and he actually did like a Hall of Fame induction for Ken. Oh, shit. and it was super sweet. Where he was like, you know, I would have never made it if it wasn't for you helping me out and everything. And you know, a lot of that's The Rock doing Rock things. Yeah. But you know, it, it was a very nice induction. Damn. So. Um, so Ken comes in to try and stop the wedding, but he gets killed. Uh, Paul Bearer continues and tells her that the undertaker will own her soul and breath (laughs) and allow her to bear offspring. Yikes. Fucking yikes. This is before the bachelor. (laughs) Yeah. They're then interrupted by the great white, the big show. Uh, uh, that was his indie wrestling name for like two matches. The Great really? White. <laughs> yeah, because he was Paul White. Yeah. So he's yeah. the Great White. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he hits out a shitty super kick and then he immediately dies. Yeah. And, oh, everyone immediately dies. <laughs> yeah. And right when The Undertaker is caressing her face for the final time. I now pronounce you as the unholy union of darkness, you may now kiss your bride. And Steve Austin comes with a chair to both save the day and provide as many concussions as he can in as short a time frame as possible. Like, this is another one of those things that has aged very poorly, but it's still awesome as hell. Yeah, I mean, the badass. crowd is going crazy. He is killing like 12 dudes with this chair in a row. <laughs> the Undertaker is like off into the void like he's Nosferatu. Yeah, and it's directly to the skull too. Every single one. Yeah, yeah. Jim Ross is going insane on commentary. And he really brings the whole segment together where Austin unhooks Stephanie she hugs him. Austin's like, please get off of me. Yeah, Austin's hands is, are far out to the goddamn side. He's yeah. like, nope, nope. And JR is screaming that Austin did this not because he wanted to, yeah. not for Vince McMahon, but because it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And oh, like, such a good line. This segment right here is honestly probably the highlight of the attitude era like that's the peak of the attitude era the attitude era ends in 2001 but in terms of the character and ethos that defined the attitude era yeah it's hard to be like this eight minute segment of satan trying to marry a woman (laughs) And Steve Austin coming out to just kill everyone. I really, I really hope we get a recreation of this with our new, the new world we're in in WWE. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not gonna. I mean, no, I don't think it'll happen. It can't yeah, happen it can't. again yeah. for a multitude of factors. But <laughs> I mean, like after this came the first real shot of like, what's WWE doing mm-hmm. when? It turned out Vince McMahon was the higher power oh, yeah. that that told the Undertaker to kidnap Stephanie so 
Stone Cold could be put into danger. Yeah. It's really the first big misstep in the Attitude Era. Yeah, that's one um, way of putting it. But we then go just six months after uh, this, roughly. What, wait, that was only the next... Maybe less, honestly. Holy shit. It was from like, it was from like April or May to November. So yeah, roughly six months. Um, poor Stephanie can't catch a break. She spends <laughs> the rest of her summer falling in love with Test, their oh, up-and-coming star. And Test is off to get married with Stephanie. He earned the right to marry her. We've had two months of them in awkward segments getting ready to marry each other. And finally, at the end of Raw, they are here to be joined in holy matrimony. And man, this is the first wedding that really starts off slow. Well, this, um, this one seemed, this as this wedding starts, like my initial reaction was, oh, okay, this is another elizabeth and savage like i i know who she's married to now but i was like oh this is they're just gonna do it and then you know it'll blow up later but they're just gonna do like a normal wedding because there's no there's no ropes on the front of the ring they do like a genuine nice casual interest as things look at the beginning it looks like test is like nervous but because he's excited and like doesn't know Hot, what Tess to looks do. nervous because he fucking hates this angle. Well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but out of cave, but like, if you I've don't never have seen context, someone, I've never seen someone getting a push into a main event segment look more awkward and upset than Tess does. Well, he looks really angry, especially knowing what's time. coming. He just looks fucking awkward as hell. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this. Is so this segment happens when WWE creatively is in a bit of a lull. Okay. Uh Vince Russo leaves in September, October okay. 1999, and this is in November. So I th- so this wedding is a bit less punchy, and I think that's because they don't have Vince Russo there. Yeah. To yeah. just keep this moving along. The Black Wedding was eight and a half minutes long. This one's like 15 or so. Did did Vince and Russo like, work on the Black Wedding? Yes. Yes, yeah. okay. he did. Yeah. He yeah, wrote most of, of the Vince stuff Russo's in like, the Attitude Era, like the start of the Attitude Era. That's all yeah, from yeah. like late 97 to, uh, to September 99, really, Yeah, okay. uh, is when Russo was there. And he left... Because they were debuting SmackDown and he told Vince, I don't want to write two shows like I'm already getting burned out and I have kids, you know, they want to spend time with. And Vince says, oh, well, you can just hire a nanny. Jesus (laughs) Christ, Vince. And so you can criticize Vince Russo all you want, but like that's a very legitimate gripe to leave the company. Oh, that's that's, Um, that's one of the most that's one of the best reasons to leave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So no one should ever have a gripe with Vince Russo leaving WWF high and dry mm-hmm. because he did what he should have done. Yeah, he, he um, made a choice for his family. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, everyone comes down to the ring. 
they play a three minute long song that these two people oh sing. Uh, <laughs> and it is the most awkward thing where Stephanie and Tess keep looking back and forth to each other and awkwardly giggling. Yeah, while it's Tess like, the... like stares into the void of the crowd. Well, it's like that moment, you know, like, 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 like really happy weddings, like the two, the, the bride, and the groom or the bride and the bride and the groom and the groom can like, you know, like casually like share a moment or like an inside joke with one another. And it's really acute and everyone sees it and it's like, ha ha ha. And then everyone focus back on what's happening. It's like that, but they do it like 15 times over and over again. And it is super awkward. Yeah. 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 You know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like, they it's do it like, they do it repeatedly they, over like over they do and not over touch again. each other they do not touch each other at all like they're like repelled the only person who seemed to there's two people who seem to enjoy this segment vince is like haha look i got a real song on my show and he seems like happy about that yeah the only person who seems to be genuinely like in the moment is Linda McMahon. Cause she's like actually looking at Stephanie wistfully and like, Oh, she'll get married someday. Like <clears throat> Linda's the only person who's got the right vibe. Everything else feels strange and alien. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It feels all this. The, um, the best way to describe this, this wedding is utter, uh, utter wordly. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Very alien. Yeah. Uh, and naturally, as any wedding is wont to do, if someone's going to interrupt, they need their full lighting and music package. So Triple H's music hits and everyone's very upset. Uh, Vince McMahon stated that if you were not invited to the wedding and you're not part of the family, then you are not invited to the wedding. And if you show up, you'll be fired. So presumably... Triple H is showing up here to be fired. Yeah. But going to go before Andrade. But before he can be fired, he says that Vince McMahon should really take a look at what's on the Titan Tron. And it's a home video of Triple H driving outside of the Las Vegas strip. <laughs> uh, and, and we see him driving around some very romantic stores. Uh, Monty, what type of stores do we see? I don't know. It's like, uh, it's like laundry stuff or something like that. Your know. Canadian <laughs> sensitivities have obviously blacked you out to the uh, to the porn stores, and the strip, strip club that has sex, that hotels. has wedding discounts <laughs> and adult and movies. Then, I guess that's how you would put it. Yeah, I. <laughs> I and thought then, they were like laundry stores or something. <laughs> no, there's a and little white finally, chapel. We finally arrive at the little white chapel, the drive-through wedding chapel. Wait, wait, where, wait. Uh, they have 24-hour yeah. drive-through weddings. 24-hour, of course. Yeah, you got to admit that. Uh, and it's across you from Talk of a Town with the adult rooms and the best restrooms in town. <laughs> Joan Collins and Michael Jordan got married there. Not only that, but they have that same exact sign there 30 years later. Do they, do they still have the same awning? I think so, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We should have just gotten married there. Yeah, right, you should have. You know, you really should have. You know, I I proposed it. 
Did you really to elope? I mean, like not like not for real, for real. But I was like, you know, we could. <laughs> Should have done it. We like we like thought about like just doing it. We we're like, meh. It'd be fun to have like a party, you know. Share the love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, big crowd pop for the strip club getting yeah. shown up. Uh, and they, as they enter the little white chapel, Triple H exclaims at, quote, all those fat cherubs with their little wieners out. <laughs> he, he parks uh, in front of the door and a woman comes out and she says, oh, my God, you're Triple H. And he responds, damn straight I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she asks him who he's here to marry. He says, well, the beautiful Stephanie McMahon, of course, who is obviously passed out in the passenger seat. It's like a, it's literally a corpse. And let me say, Matt, Monty, this woman is an accomplice. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like she seemed so thoroughly unfazed by this clear. It is incredibly raping. disturbing. Because this is a legitimate like, yeah, rape. Yeah. Like. Like, this is, if it wasn't in the context of how silly and stupid this is, yeah. this would be, like, really fucking haunting. No, it still is. Of this guy it getting away with It still is really this. fucking haunting. Well, yeah, well, but it takes something away when the crowd's laughing and popping in the background. That's what makes it disturbing. Triple H is speaking in falsetto. She she asks, oh, Stephanie, do you take hus- uh, Triple H to be your husband? Oh, no! And she goes, oh, well, yes, I do. Well, no, she <laughs> does it. Triple H does. Yes. What? Oh, yes, I really and, do. And ben, I promise at, to at, love, hold, cherish you, and do whatever you want. And obey you. At, at this point in, in history, it, where is the actual, real, out-of-kayfabe relationship between Stephanie and Triple H? So, you can actually plot it in real time as they're on screen together. And that sounds really fucking stupid, but like, there Triple H is in a relationship with China. Yeah, at this time that was pretty. Yeah, yeah. So when they're first on screen in like December, they're a valet and a guy. Mm -hmm. Around like January or February, it's like when one of them's just talking. The other one is just staring at them. Just full captivation. Yeah. Yeah, especially Stephanie. Like, January, February, March of 2000, she is just ogling Triple H while he talks. Mm -hmm. Amazing. We've seen at this wedding Stephanie's acting when she's happy. I'm not going to say that they were boning then. What I would like to say uh, is that they were definitely boning when Triple H was still officially with China. Oh, yeah. Which led to sure. her nervous breakdown and eventual exile from the company that she never yeah. recovered from. Uh, the story of China is extremely sad and and not what's worse, but to add salt in the wound is seeing all the people now who say they yeah. grew up as as fans of her and to know that she never got that validation because people like triple H were in management and said that no one wanted to 
associate with China because of the sex videos of her yeah. that were out mm-hmm. in the public, uh, which they didn't seem to mind at all the moment she died. So very yeah. sad story yeah. with with China. There, there's no happy ending there. Uh, and it shows that sometimes the bad guys do win. Uh, yeah. Back to this, though. Before all of that happens, so we can still feel good about this. Uh, the wedding, much to Triple H's chagrin, takes over three minutes. <sighs> but finally, through much complaining, they are finally declared husband and wife. Triple H asks his accomplice to get the cans out from the back of the trunk. Not Stephanie's cans. <laughs> cans in the trunk. And it's revealed the person holding the camera was the bartender at Stephanie's bachelor party that aired on Raw the week beforehand. So she was roofied. Yeah, and she for like was roofied for a long period of time. That yeah, is big so roofie. wrong. Ugh. I remember Jeez, that. Fuck. <laughs> so we cut back to the arena. Stephanie is in tears. Test has shifted to his only expression, which is angry. Yes. And Vince McMahon is beside himself. Triple H comes out and I know that you can only have one question on your mind, Dad. Not did we, but how many times did we consummate the marriage? It's one of the best deliveries of the word dad I've ever heard. <laughs> yes. To cap this whole story off, it would be found out a month later that Stephanie was apparently in cahoots with Triple H this whole time as she screwed over her dad at the following pay-per-view. And her reasoning was, you literally kidnapped me and had me almost marry the Undertaker against my will to be raped and filled with demon babies. What did you? And to that I say, fair fucking point. Hey, look, and now, and now, now who runs the company? That's right. Now who runs the company? Uh, we've come to our final wedding oh, that we are discussing today. Man. And poor Stephanie's 0 for 2 with weddings. And she's about to go 0 for 3. I will say and, she really uh, doesn't do too much. Well, she takes a Samoan drop. Yeah. Uh, and that is September 2002. So three years after the last wedding, we have the commitment ceremony between Billy and Chuck. <laughs> and man, this this one's problematic, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's... For today's... Uh, I mean, we're in sensitive times, but yeah, this was like pretty fucked oh, up. Oh no, though. oh no. This was bad then, too. Uh, in an era where they were having hot lesbian action mm-hmm. on Spike TV on Raw, their PG show, they advertised for weeks the commitment ceremony billy and chuck at the time were a questioning tag team (laughs) they were heels so they cheat to win but what really got them heat is they acted gay with their overtly gay fashion stylist manager slash publicist rico and this and (laughs) And so in 2003 this is what made them evil oh 2002 sorry this is what made them evil yeah, this tag run lasted about a year, um, and this was really the 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 climax of it. 
they announce weeks ahead this commitment ceremony. The way it turns out is not good. Yeah. What's worse is what precipitated it, where guess who WWE partnered with to advertise the commitment ceremony? Chick-fil-A? Glad. Oh. Oh. So they they partnered with Glad because they were excited that WWE was having the first ever on-screen gay wedding in television. Uh. Oh, no. So let's see, knowing that, how all of this transpires, shall we? Yes, let's... Let's dive in. <laughs> Rico comes out to the amazing Billy and Chuck theme. You look so good to me. Uh, <laughs> and he is just riffing like a madman. It's very entertaining. He's in his prime. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. 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 He's, he's upset that they got the wrong flowers. He ordered tulips, damn it. He <laughs> thinks that the Reverend looks way too old. He's, he's a sub in. Stephanie is out there. She's the general manager of the show and she's showing support, but she's the only other person there because gay people obviously can't have friends. Yeah. Yeah. That would make no sense. Yeah. Uh, Played out to the ring are Billy and Chuck and they come out to the song It's Raining Men. Delivered (laughs) incredibly well. A very, very good rendition of It's Raining Men. Hallelujah. And Rico starts talking up the idea of two men joining together on TV. And Monty, how would you describe the crowd reaction? It was very, very rough, man. Like that's it's, that's diplomatic. Yeah, it's it was hard to watch. Like this day and age, it's really it's yeah. messed up, man. Ugh. It's offensive. It yeah. is, it's offensive. Yeah. It's disappointing, almost. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, but the worst thing is that's how, I mean, not to this extent, but that's how most TV was back then. Oh, no, that's true. But it was still like, you know, back in the day, like, even though it's like, I I never had any, anything against, you know, gay or gay marriages or anything like that. Like, I just thought how that was presented was really unfair if you will it's yeah. exploitative. i mean it's yeah, yeah it's bullying yeah. it's exploitation it's <laughs> it's like it's like making fun of people with down syndrome it, yeah like yeah, like it's like you're picking something yeah. that's just like well, normal that's something that they, they have no choice over just who they are right. and mm-hmm. turning it into like comedy and the, the thing that makes it disturbing is the fact that the crowd is like sickened they're there for it they're hostile yeah and so the uh the 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 ceremony begins the crowd is not here for it not at all um also at uh, about the same time as this on smackdown so the same show different time of the year um they had another guy on the roster chris canyon who was a very talented wrestler. Mm-hmm. A lot of moves that are regularly used on TV. Canyon now Canyon invented 25 years ago. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. He uh, trained, actually, Brian Cage. Oh, shit. So when Brian Cage does his Who's Better taunt, that was Canyon's catchphrase. Oh. So he yeah. so he lifted it from Canyon. Uh, Canyon, one of his big issues is he was closeted gay mm. in the industry. And so uh, he... He had a solid career in WCW, but when he came yeah. over to the WWF, he really seemed to draw the ire of The Undertaker. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Uh, he wasn't deliberately out as gay. And, like, he went through a lot of shit to, like, be like, yeah, I'm straight. He'd go out to the strip clubs and he'd, you know, he'd hang all over the women. And he was like, I thought this shit was disgusting. But, like, yeah. I did it to fit in. <laughs> he had yeah. to yeah and so uh a few months before this like not that long before maybe only a few weeks he dressed up as little richard to oh. sing a song to the undertaker as a part of an angle for something okay and so the undertaker responds by taking a steel chair and if you find it it is the most thunderous steel chair directly to canyon skull that i have ever heard ever it is the most sickening thud of a chair shot like it's disgusting mm. so it's not like this was an isolated incident uh like they treated their their wrestlers who were either gay or who they thought were gay it's pretty brutal the first openly gay wrestler in wwe didn't show up until 2014 i think yeah so just keep that in mind yeah um well we 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 can we can continue to have some fun with this but just just remember that as we continue here so uh the the reverend the officiant mm -hmm. sounds like he's near the brink of death yeah as his arm is shaking and he his insists whole body is shaking Proceed. Uh, Chuck Palumbo compliments Billy on his tag team prowess and how he is, of course, Mr. Ass. And while repeatedly staring at his ass, like it's very salaciously done. Then he says, but now, and he stares at Billy's penis. Yep. I know you've won tag team gold. Oh, okay. But now you've captured my heart. Oh. <laughs> Boo! The crowd yeah, hates this. Yeah. Uh, vitriolic. Awful. Uh, th this whole thing makes me wonder, actually. They haven't tagged since, like, 2003. So are they still tag partners? Oh. I wonder. Mm. So as the ceremony continues, they're starting to look a little nervous before they're interrupted by... The Godfather, uh -huh. who is not on PG SmackDown, but on TV 14 Raw, pimping hoes nationwide. <laughs> so it's about time that you light up a fatty for this old pimp daddy, because pimping ain't easy. Uh -huh. Can you imagine that he got roll up a fatty for this pimp daddy? <laughs> on tv in like 1999 
Yeah, right. Where like in like in an era where RVD was fired for smoking weed, he was suspended for smoking weed. Yeah, but still, like, yeah, what an era! What a time to be a wrestling fan. Yes. It. This is also one of the few times when he comes out that I get a full from Michael Cole, a full on oh my god. <laughs> Like a real. Most of the time, Cole just goes, "Oh my!" But this time, he gave up. Oh my god! He's the <laughs> god. Like they, he's shitting bricks. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out that Minneapolis, where they are, just so happens to be the next stop for the whole train. The whole <laughs> train. And the Godfather's confused because he says, "Billy." I know you still have the pimp in you, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had to cut Billy off because, quote, the cookies were giving up too many free nookies. <laughs> Monty, how many free nookies have you ever given? You know what? I I still, I don't understand the term nookie, <laughs> but I always thought it was something racist or something like that. Like, no. you end up something racist, but. No, this is one of, uh, I think that's one of the few words that's not problematic in this yeah, wedding. Yeah, no, nookie, nookie is, is like the safest expression used in this entire, like, yes. for this entire oh. proceeding. Okay. No, I, you know, I'm, I heard it, like, back when, you know, that Limp Bizkit song came out and everything, and there was, yeah. like, a huge discussion about that, but anyways, yeah, that was some other, that's something else, so. Unfortunately, the Godfather's train is put to a crashing halt thanks to Rico, who tells that neither him nor his good time girls are wanted here at the wedding. He really grasped for that good time girls expression, too. (laughs) Rico was real struggling there for a second. When when they're actively dancing and smiling to being called hoes, it does make you question what you should (laughs) call them. Oh, yeah. yeah, They're like, oh, yeah, it's fucking uh so the godfather has planted the seed of doubt and as he leaves rico insists they skip to the end but billy and chuck seem to realize that they're in a situation they're not prepared for so as the officiant is asking chuck and billy (laughs) can i get monty give me a billy Billy! <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Matt, Pretty give good. me a Billy. <clears throat> Billy! <laughs> I like Monty. Right. I think Monty's Billy. got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as he's asking them if they are willing to commit to each other, the crowd is chanting, just say oh, no. no. Yeah. Oh, fuck me. And right as they're reaching the point of no return they both say yes but then billy says wait this has gone too far (laughs) this was all just a publicity stunt Mm. and meanwhile someone from glad is watching Uh. the tv and their face falls as they realize they just got worked by vince mcmahon well and as, as as billy goes hey we're not gay and then the crowd fucking erupts. Yeah. Cheering. They, they over- say, yeah, biggest pop of the show <laughs> is him saying that 
he's not gay. But he doesn't hate the gay crowd people. loses their mind. It's like he turned he literally turned face by saying he's yes. not gay. Because yeah. they were face after this. So he turned face by saying that they're not gay. Uh, the the quote is, hey, I mean, we're not gay. I mean, we don't have anything against gay. He couldn't people. have said that any clearer. Than, than in that. fact, yeah. if I was gay, I probably would marry Chuck. So <laughs> really no, that, that here, gets a general laugh out of Chuck too. Chuck breaks breaks for a second there. He's yeah, taken yeah. aback by that yeah. comment, which is great. <laughs> yeah, Billy Gunn is the is one of the few people here who's like the character is problematic, but at least he's not like making things worse, yeah. right? <laughs> Billy Gunn comes out of this less unscathed than a lot of people here. Mm -hmm. Billy Gunn's the only one to come out of this entire situation to 2022. Yeah, that's a good point. Stephanie, yeah. But she's not fucking doing anything. So Rico freaks out. Uh, He he says that he knew that they were going to get cold feet. He knew they weren't going to be able to go through with this. All this planning ruined. And, and, and the officiant insists that he stops. He says, stop, stop, everybody, stop. Never change. It doesn't matter if it lasts 50 years, 16 months, or three minutes. minutes what did i just hear myself say three minutes And Billy Gunn's pantomime here is amazing. Because when he says three minutes, all of a sudden he goes from an 80-year-old man to Eric Bischoff's voice (laughs) asking if he really just said three minutes. And for as horrible as a lot of this ceremony is, (laughs) for like seven-year-old me seeing this for the first time, Having the officiant rip his mask off and be Eric Bischoff was one of the biggest holy shit moments I have ever experienced in my life. Like, no, it's incredibly well done. It's makeup incredibly. The prosthetic is jaw dropping, and they do a great job of filming it to make sure you never really, you can't really tell. Yeah, well, Bischoff said he was going backstage to people Mm -hmm. and like. Like, as the doddering old officiant, and yeah. he's like, can you help me with this? And he's being like, deli- like he walks he over to Vince, and, yeah. he's, and he's like, you know, I gotta say, I liked your wrestling a lot more before. Where was WCW? <laughs> that company's a lot better. <laughs> but, like, people couldn't tell because the makeup was so yeah. good. Yeah. That's um, incredible. And so he rips the mask off. 
His goons at the time, Three Minute Warning, Rosie and Jamal, come to the ring. They clear house. They give Stephanie McMahon a Samoan drop. The crowd's going crazy. The locker room empties out. SmackDown's best and brightest of Kurt Angle, Edge, a year one John Cena. Rey Mysterio. Chavo yeah. Guerrero. It, it it falls apart quite rapidly. <laughs> but... Uh, hey, Hurricane Helmsley uh, shows up as well. I know. Of all time. I, I, I saw that idea and I was like, wow. <laughs> um, and and then the segment ends with Stephanie being carted away. Yeah. And, and the ceremony destroyed and WWE's relationship with Glad would not be repaired for another 15 but, years. But hey, hey, there is an advertisement for Vin Diesel's Triple X and that relationship stayed strong. Uh, quick updates on everyone from from this wedding. Uh, Stephanie McMahon is now one of the heads of WWE alongside Nick Khan. So she's doing pretty well. Uh, Chuck Palumbo, I think, op- owns a shop somewhere. I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's hurting at all. So that's good. Billy Gunn is the hype man for the acclaimed, who are the current AEW tag champions. He's daddy he has ass. the greatest job in wrestling where he's just called daddy ass he does a little scissoring motion and he gets paid to travel around the world and watch his another tag team which is comprised of his two sons wrestle and grow in the industry so billy gunn what a god so far at least has had as good of a happy ending and we as anyone and and ben you and i can arrogantly claim a a a portion in history with billy gunn when we had the old age outlaws chant and it mm-hmm. that's right yeah that was us <laughs> yeah that was yeah, us we, we, cha- nice. we went to like a smackdown taping where we chanted old age outlaws at them nice. that fucking that shit blew nice. up and it felt good it felt really good they they, uh, but they, they literally great. looked at ben and billy gunn went huh like he was like <laughs> he was like impressed by the statement as like the crowd like figured it out and like they like yeah. then they started like yelling at us because we were we were screaming at them like they should yeah. as the heels. But then like every night it's like, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that's harsh, bro. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> After you're 50 though, you can't call yourself the new age allies. Yeah. Anymore. We told like, them and we ruined Chris Jericho's night. So we, we, we've yeah, done a lot. That's, that, that's a story for another day. I'm just um, looking this up and it's interesting. Billy Gunn's real name is Monty Kip Sop. <laughs> yeah. Monty Sop. Wow. Sop is probably one of the more unfortunate last names you could have. Yeah, pretty real. Um, yeah. He, yeah, when he was signed to TNA, he actually took Road Dog's real last name of James and they became the James Gang because he was like, my last name's not getting over anywhere. Yeah, I'm not Sop. Uh, in terms of other people, Rico became a cop in Las Vegas where. Uh, rumors are abound that he's an abusive police officer who beats people up and he has drug, uh, and severe health problems. Rico Constantino. Um, Yeah. Rico Constantino. Yep. Um, and Rosie and Jamal are both deceased, unfortunately. Um, Yeah. yeah. Jamal became Umaga. Okay. Uh, who had an extensive career, unfortunately, uh, painkillers and, and drugs uh, uh, claimed his life, but yeah. he left behind a legacy 
have always been considered a very nice individual backstage to everyone. Uh, and he's still held in very high regard. And then, uh, Rosie, uh, passed away, I believe more recently. Uh, He's been out of the limelight for several years longer. Uh, but he's probably best known in a way for being the brother of the current, uh, champion in wwe roman reigns oh shit! Oh, really? really yeah so well yeah they're the, the they're part of that that samoa family right Delta. yeah samoan yeah. dynasty yeah yeah big d so um a lot to unpack from those five weddings yeah they really <laughs> they really do capture like each era of what Vince McMahon was really thinking about. Yes. Like, like we start with just like wacky childish bullshit where like Vince McMahon's in his like infantile age. Then we get like the idealistic Randy Savage Elizabeth with like still a little twinge. And then we get his goth phase where he wants to be all like creepy and emo, but that doesn't work out. So he has to ramp it up into like legit terrifying violence and rape. Uh, and then, and then he goes, okay, I'm going to cool it down. And he levels that with an as casual dose of extreme homophobia, which I think really captures Vince McMahon and like the WWE as a whole. Like, I think the modern wrestling wedding is just like, it's like a wedding with maybe one gimmick or like a, a fight breaks out and that's it because WWE is now very every man. But this was back when, uh, there was some true character behind that lens. Yeah. What 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 is your opinion, Monty? It's on what you've seen. He's yeah. He he. I can tell. Like I was gonna say, like during the early eras, like he he's always been trying to break out and add a little bit more like comedy. And then when you see him finally take over in the Attitude Era, which I was like, it was a big time for me and I really enjoyed that era. It's, you can tell that he was finally getting his stuff in and he does throw in a a lot of the comedic effects in during that era. Like, you know, the, when the, the beef, when um, the rock and the, the, you know, stone cold were singing in the ring, that was memorable for me. The, Mm -hmm. uh, the time when um, he brought, yeah, like he was hitting a lot of, uh issues uh at that time during you know in his stories like let's not forget about the the nation of domination uh storyline like oh oh, wow like he was hitting so he was hitting like people hating their bosses which is the stone uh, stone cold you know face turn uh and, and going after him the beef that they played out on screen they had the you know they had a they they addressed a lot of like interesting um uh, topics during during their storyline, which is really, in my in my opinion, was during the best era that 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 when I was growing up watching it. So yeah, it's you see a lot of change, but nowadays yeah. it's like I don't know what his angle is. Maybe because I have I'm not following as closely, or I don't feel as attached. I I, I know like you to, compared to you guys, you both. Mm-hmm. Are, are still like big into it and are, are following it. But for me, I kind of like fell off the wagon after, or I should say I got off the wagon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right after that, you know, when, when 
the, those guys, the, the Attitude Era, the, those guys just started to to leave and the the purchase of WCW and then the, yeah. the firing, you know, right after that. And then a lot of people were like, you just read in pro wrestling news. There's not a lot of people were happy during that time. So I kind of lost interest. Yeah. And every now and then I just love watching, you know, the, the specials like WrestleMania or Royal Rumble, whenever they have one of those, the, the classic, like classic guys for me, like the Attitude Era guys come up and they do yeah. their their cameos. Like the most recent one I really enjoyed was when Stone Cold and um, and uh, Owen, uh, what's his name? The, the Oh, Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens, yeah. When they when he managed to buy, uh, get him back to do one last match, that, that was like, you know, I got to say Stone Cold was my guy. Like, I, 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 was, I was there for that. It was really cool. I know. Oh, man. Yeah. That was really good. So, yeah. So for yeah. me, from it's a different era of perspective. So, yeah. But, Definitely, I, I, I feel like, I, I feel like something that this actually highlights is I think it shows the audience outgrowing Vince. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Where, I agree. yeah, where Vince starts out doing children's programming more or less with mm-hmm. like a weird bizarre adult twinge to it he was he was like Ren and stimpy or animaniacs yeah. before they existed yeah and then when they were of age they're angsty they're angry they're hypersexual and that's when you get the attitude era mm-hmm. and after that vince is like well this is what i like yeah yeah and so they ratcheted up even more into genuinely gross territory, which is when we get stuff like Billy and Chuck or whatever. When people from the Attitude Era, they grew up. Mm-hmm. And they're well, like, I have a family. I have kids now. And honestly, the transition to PG back to PG programming makes sense in that yeah, respect. 100%. But the issue is that they is that Vince McMahon at that point was so successful that no one can tell him no. Yeah. He's unfocused. He has no competition. Like the cracks really start forming in WWF creatively in 1999, yep. which is their best year. Yep. Yep. But it's also the year where they realize WCW is no longer competition for them. Yeah, they lost, like they, they lost so, motivation. They, they yeah, had they, no, la- they lost I was going to say, yeah, they got they they laxed. Uh, they started to yeah. go through that. Yeah. And and I think it goes beyond that too into you can only watch a show for so long. Mm-hmm, like there's mm-hmm. uh like the Simpsons is always the example I go to. Yeah. You get on average like four good seasons of a TV show. And by that point, most of the writers have cycled off to other shows. Yeah. So the Simpsons got lucky because they replaced their writers with the generation of like Conan O'Brien, yeah. a bunch of people who yeah. became like late night talk show hosts and comedians. And they held it on for another eight seasons for another four seasons. And when you get to like season nine or 10, that's when the wheels start falling off because you just can't sustain it forever. Yeah. I think with AEW, it's still an excellent show, but you're starting to see we're three years in now. Yeah. And people are starting to get a little 
tired of the show the way it is just because watching something for three straight years, you start to get a little tired of it. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's a combination of all those factors that lead to it, but focusing back in on the weddings, I think that this is a great time capsule into sports entertainment as a concept. Yep. Yeah. This, yeah. Is the, this is the only kind of entertainment outside of comic books where these kind of events exist. Yeah. Right. There's nowhere else that like, yeah, like you said earlier, you can have a wedding main event. Like be like the like storyline and have it just be a wedding as well. Like this is like a something that's special to the history of sports entertainment. Like, cause you're yeah. not going to get this anywhere else. Not even in like professional, like new Japan's not going to do like a Kenny Omega. Asha, uh, um, like, uh, like, they're not going to do a Kenny Omega wedding event. That's going to like blow the top off the world. Like, no, that's no. like, like Daniel Bryan's not getting remarried on TV. Yeah. But like, and Karrion it's also, Cross had a wedding recently. It, it's also harder to do a wedding nowadays. Cause like now that Vince is gone, especially generally speaking, they handle things more respect, respectfully. Yeah. yeah. Like Kip Sabian and Penelope had a wedding on dynamite. Yeah, it just... and it was genuinely kind of boring, but it's because it was their actual wedding. Yeah, it was real. It was just it was legit. Yeah, real. it was like a real wedding, and so because of that, it's like their heels, but like it was like weird, you yeah, know. It was, so congratulations it was to them. Correct, there was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there another wedding, um, or was that just something, uh, just a stupid storyline that it. Uh, is it Edge and Lita? Oh one? no! So right? there, yeah. there were a number of weddings we did not oh, okay. tackle. Yeah. There is the wedding where Edge and Lita were going to get married. Um, after the X-rated public, yeah. Well, well, after Lita's public uh, cheating on her boyfriend at the time, Matt Hardy Matt with Hardy, Edge. Yeah. Uh, and I was actually rewatching it today yeah. to see if like it should go on here, and I excised it ultimately um but it's it's like there's actually a really sad moment in there yes yeah where because at this point they're scripting them Mm -hmm. and she says you know i i've i've had bad marriages but i've never had bad loves because i love Um, you edge and i realize that you're the only person I've ever loved. And as she says that, she starts crying. Yeah. And, like, yeah. it's a really uncomfortable moment. I forgot about that um, that incident. But, yeah. uh, when that came out, like, it was, like, a huge thing, like, behind yeah. the backstage. Like, yeah. Edge's wife found out and it was just, like, mm. a, a horrible situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but then Kane came out from under the ring and tombstone, the priest. So that was fun. Everything was okay. Yeah. Yeah. There was a surprisingly fun wedding in NXT where Oksana married Goldust to get a green card. (laughs) There was, uh, a fantastic wedding in Impact Wrestling where, uh, now Chelsea Green, then Laurel Van Ness. Uh, was going to get married to Braxton Sutter, now known as the Blade, but he professed his love for Allie, who's now known as the Bunny. Uh, just like a really like campy style uh, wedding, but it, it's it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, there's been a lot of weddings throughout. Very few have, if any, have reached the highs of the ones we looked at today. Mm -hmm. Well, some of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you guys could pick one wedding as your favorite wedding, which would it be, Matt? I, I think there is something so genuinely, and, and, and this to bring it back to actually your wedding, Ben, there is something so genuinely nice about the Macho Man Elizabeth wedding because it is, it's just it's just a wedding that goes really well. Like ignoring the stuff at the reception, the the wedding that we see is just really beautiful. It was done perfectly and everything ended up exactly as it was supposed to. And that's a that's that's exactly what I think you won. I think you get that. I was going to say I think you got that too, Ben, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to say the same like um for me I still remember watching it on pay-per-view as it came, when it came out and that was the most memorable one uh in terms of wrestling weddings that they actually pulled. And I loved how the story, yeah, they gave them their moment. They gave them their limelight. It was very sweet. Like, even leading up to it when he proposed to her and everyone was shouting uh, outside, was like, get on your knees. And, and oh, he yeah. finally proposed for that. And then the wedding went through. And then they just immediately went, like, it's. it was nice because they invited the at-home audience as well to, to participate in that. And... um and they just led right into this the next storyline, which was freaking amazing. Yeah, so yeah. I would say that one was really well written, really genuine because because it was genuine. And yeah. then yeah, it, it had a really nice uh, segue right into the main WWE uh, F at the time storyline. So I, I really enjoyed that, and that was the most memorable one for me for sure. Yeah, I, I'd say that one's probably the best. Yeah. Uh, I am most fascinated by the Ophelia Vachon wedding. Yeah, that's a that's a real that was interesting. <laughs> that one is just strange. Yeah. Um I I will like I think that's the real gem out of this yeah. one. That's the that's um, the lost artifact. That's like the hidden artifact yeah. from the past. Yeah. Yeah. But the um but yeah, the the Macho Man Elizabeth wedding, you know, I mean for you to still remember watching it yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that says a lot. I, I think that it says something that when you look back on the career of Macho Man, who's in the top five, you know, most recognized wrestlers in American wrestling history, mm -hmm. easily. And he's honestly the prototype of what someone thinks of when they think of a pro wrestler and they yep. don't know wrestling. It's never Hulk Hogan. It's Macho Man. Yeah. yeah. They'll say it's Hulk Hogan, and then they'll do the Macho Man voice. Yeah, I know. I like, I have heard people talk about knowing who Macho Man or know who talk about uh, Hulk Hogan, and then proceed to talk about and t and do Macho Man impressions. Right, exactly. <laughs> like literally in Borderlands, there's a character, Mister Torg, who's supposedly based on Hulk Hogan, but he looks and acts like Macho Man. Um, and, and so. And so for a guy who genuinely transcended the business for him to arguably be best known, not for his matches with Hogan, not for his title wins, not the slim gyms, but for, for this wedding with miss Elizabeth. Yeah. 
That says a lot. It says something about yeah, that, how special. That's really cool. It is, yeah. I still remember, uh, oh gosh, like I remember when they uh, joined forces, like Hogan and Savage. The superpowers. The, the mega powers. The mega powers. Mega powers. And I then I was there. so, because I was a kid watching, I was so heartbroken when they, it didn't last. They're, 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 uh, no. no, it didn't last. And it, I was just like, oh my God, this is so sad. And I think that's when. Well, Hogan had lust in his eyes for Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you that. do you think Macho was paranoid, or do you think that Hogan was lusting after Elizabeth? I would say a little both, um, because Ooh, like I yeah, like that. yeah, because like like you told me, like Macho Man is not granted great great performer, great legend. Uh, had the pleasure of watching and growing up with. It's just yeah, there's like there's something going not not all there in his head, but. Yeah, during that phase, it was like, like you said, he was trying behind the scenes. He's trying to save his wedding and, and save his marriage, and then you get Hogan coming in and doing Hogan stuff um, because he was the main guy at the time. It's just, yeah, I would say it's kind of both um, going on, and it, it's sad, really, but it is it's history now. So yeah, that was that was very heartbreaking for me. When to see them go against each other, I thought they would play out the the mega power storyline a little bit longer before they had them they, go against and that's, each and other. That, that's that's the power of wrestling yeah. right there encapsulated. Yeah. yeah. The fun fact, actually, Monty, mm-hmm. the original plan for the WrestleMania where Macho Man won the title mm-hmm. is that he was not going to win. Ted DiBiase was going to win the tournament. But what happened is that the Intercontinental Champion at the time, Honky Tonk Man, refused to lose the title to Macho Man. So because he refused to lose the title to him, Macho Man instead got put into the tournament and won the title, which kicked everything off. Oh, and, uh, shit. And, yeah, and uh, to commemorate the Mega Powers... Mattel is actually releasing an exclusive Mega Powers 2 pack oh, with sweet. their hands. There's like a hand mold where their hands are joined. Like you can't separate them. They're mm-hmm. doing the handshake. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So. Um, if there's any takeaways from this episode that I'd like there to be, it would be I love my wife. <laughs> Everyone love their <laughs> Their partners. Yeah. Big up yep. big ups to the wives. Yeah. And so uh and so <laughs> at the end of this episode <laughs> go pick up your phone, text your wife or husband that you love them, or your partner, or your girlfriend, or your boyfriend, if you're at that level in the relationship yet. I don't want to push you. I do. <laughs> Spend some time with them. You do you know how much time how much time should they spend together, Ben? Should it be fifty years? Should it be maybe sixteen months? <laughs> Till death do they part. I you know you know Monty that's a great idea, but I really think, I really think it should be three minutes. 
<laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, Matt, did you just say three minutes? Oh my god, they're coming. They're coming. Alright, we gotta end the show. Fourth time's the charm. Uh, goodbye, good night, review, and get a figure. Good night. Good night. Bye. Here's Bye. The sound of Isaac Chris getting hit by a chair. <laughs> <laughs>